listening to Pawnee Public Radio. With your hosts, Hannah and Will. Welcome back. I, I, I have to think of more greetings other than just welcome back, or else every time... <laughs> I'm going to say welcome back, unless that's the thing we're saying now to welcome everybody Just back. welcome back to Pawnee Public Radio. Just welcoming them to the whole. What is, what is, there's that, um, when you're here, you're home, which will eventually become. Oh, Olive Garden, the, right? Uh, no, Pawnee. <laughs> when you're here, you're home. Oh, you're joking. <laughs> yeah, that eventually becomes, at first, the town slogan is first in friendship. Fifth in obesity? No. What is it? It's first in friendship. First in friendship. Did your town have a slogan? Fourth in obesity. Um, Sorry, you asked me that question while I was mid-Google. It's first in friendship, fourth in obesity, and then it becomes when you hear your home much later. Did my town have a slogan? No. Did yours? Yeah. Ours was Arkadelphia, a great place to call home. Oh, my God. Is is this a small town thing? Now I'm going to look up. If my town had a slogan, because I feel like I don't know, it's like a little. I'm from Brookline, Massachusetts. Yeah. Town slogan. I n- don't talk to her before she's had her Google. I will not interrupt. Don't again. talk to me while I'm googling. <laughs> it's it's not like we're in the middle of a podcast where people can't feel the excitement of a Google. Um, we didn't. It doesn't seem like Brookline, Massachusetts, has a slogan. It just says. Top 10 cities for millennials on the move. It's number two in that list. Um, but I don't see a slogan. Wait, what was Arkadelphia's again? A great place to call home. Which, growing up there, I can agree. It was. <laughs> this is why you're great for this podcast, because Pawnee's eventually becomes when you're here, you're home. Yeah. So, pretty close. I like the idea of a town having a, a slogan. That feels like you just need a group of concerned citizens to get together and like push for a slogan, you know, or it's like an element. It's, it's like, a future episode. You're going to love this I episode. Wait. I believe it's like, it's, it's in a much later season. Uh, and it's, it's all about a group of citizens coming together to mm. re slogan the city. So I don't want to spoil that episode, but oh, is there, if, if you're listening, which you are, and I always check, um, is there something that you think should be the slogan for this podcast that we welcome everyone in with? Let us know in the comments below. Yeah, a slogan or a catchphrase. Who who knows what the difference is? I, I mean, yeah, I'm going to learn the difference between a bribe and a tip. Spoiler alert in this episode. Spoiler alert. <laughs> We're actually not doing the slogan episode. We're doing season two, episode five. Sister City. And it's it's a doozy. I love this one. I think it's so fun. We get a great cameo remind, from Fred. Yeah. It reminds me of like the early seasons of 30 Rock, mm. where really great comedians would come on and just like play. Yeah. It also it kind of like like explodes the world of the show a little bit. You know, we like there's a moment where we're in Venezuela <laughs> at the end. Um this is the farthest we've ever traveled in an yeah, episode. It really Geog- it, Yeah, geographically. Um, so we're gonna dive right into it. Um, I'll take the A story with a little bit of help from my sister city, Will. Mm-hmm. And then Will will take B and C. Or B, and then I'll take C. Yeah. I'll adopt the C. 
Um, so yeah, this is a very it it almost feels like a different show for this 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 episode. I don't know why. It just it it we really yeah, like you said, like we leave the world of Parks and Rec a little bit, and we also it's less about the interpersonal relationships in this office and more about a broader idea of Pawnee within the world. Yeah, yeah, truly like Pawnee on the global stage for the first time. <laughs> yeah, it's a zoom out. If this were a movie, we would have zoomed out suddenly. Yeah, and like to a Google Google worldview. And you can just you can mm-hmm. just see everything. I do. It's also like there's something speaking about world where like the episode does revolve around Fred Armisen's posse, you know, and his whole character. Where it's like everything. Yeah, Fred. Ar- yeah. yeah, Fred Armisen plays this Venezuelan um, government diplomat, uh, Raúl, and. He has a posse of friends, but he it is really and this is what I mean by like early episodes of Thirty Rock. It feels like Fred Armiston getting to be real silly. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not left out of this. We're gonna tell you what happens, uh, and then you can be in on yeah, the as joke always. Rather than really, really recommend watching this episode. <laughs> Don't yeah, just listen I mean, to us. I hope you're watching along. Uh, if you know, we're watching it on Netflix. Soon it won't be on Netflix in October, but it will still be on Peacock, the Net- NBC site, and also still on Hulu. If you have Hulu and you just want to pay for commercials, although my friend has a commercialless Hulu that I was using for a while, and it was magical. yeah, it's like it's like regular. I was gonna say regular TV, but no, Hulu with commercials is regular TV. We're all living in the future yeah, right TV now. Yeah, TV has commercials. Um, so this is Sister City. I don't know what I was waiting for. Applause. <laughs> or, um, uh, it, the episode A Story revolves around, you guessed it, Leslie Nope. Uh, <laughs> Everyone's favorite protagonist. <laughs> she's excited. She's positive. She's learning lessons. Uh, <laughs> That's like a real Housewives intro for a character instead of... <laughs> <laughs> what would Leslie know? I don't really watch The Real Housewives, but what what would her tagline be? Like binders, waffles, and a little booze. <laughs> yeah, I think that checks out. Um. So, anyways, uh, Real Housewife of Pawnee, Leslie Nope, uh, is thrilled because uh, the sister city government diplomats. Uh, from Venezuela are coming to Pawnee. It's her job to show them around, to welcome them. Uh, it's an international friendship. We get this great uh, opening sequence where we have uh, Leslie Nope, Donna, Tom. I believe yeah. they even brought Jerry. It's like the whole <laughs> gang. They're all standing there. Uh, not Ron, which we'll learn. He sort of, I, I, I would say Ron is in the A story, but he's sort of like the A story after breath. Well, beautiful poetry, Hannah. Yeah, I was going to say Thank he you. seems like a, to play more of like a Forrest Gump role in this episode where he's around for all of the major events that happened during mm-hmm. the episode. Um, but, but like, tangentially like just passing through or looking yeah. through a window from a distance <laughs> yeah it's a lot of looking through a window but we have our main cast of characters the parks department of Pawnee welcoming these Venezuelan men mm-hmm. and right away uh, Leslie sets the expectation to everyone that they are not going to be u- used to the extravagance of uh, Indiana a small town in Indiana mm-hmm. and that it's their job to make these men feel 
comfortable with the with the the the, the beauty of uh, South uh, Central Indiana, as she puts yeah, it. Yeah, she's setting uh, expectations. But these, the, yeah, but Fred. Well, Raul, but uh, I just love Fred Armisen, so I'm just going to call him Fred Raul. Fred Raul shows up, and immediately um, there's a bit of tension, I would say, because uh, these diplomats are clearly uh, not that impressed with Pawnee. Uh, They do a uh, welcome party, and Fred Raul thinks that that welcome party means they get to sleep with the women in the office. I'm just going to call him Raul for that. I don't think Fred Armiston wants <laughs> to be confused. Um, but instead, the party is the exchange of gifts. And Leslie explained the gift has to represent the town, but it can't uh, shame the guests. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they give these uh, Venezuelan men uh, corn syrup and uh, rubber nipples. From Kirsten's Rubble Nipple Factory (laughs) made in Pawnee. Yeah, a big big uh, family pack. Would you say they're government diplomats? Am I using the correct phrase here? Oh, that's a good question. I don't think they're diplomats. I think they're, um, but they're like governmental employees. Like, I think they match up with what, Mm -hmm. what like a parks department would be in, uh, in Venezuela. Great. So they give them a gold plated gun. From that belonged to Hugo Chavez. Hugo Chavez, yeah. and we, uh, you know, it's 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 a real expectations undercut situation for Leslie. Um, yeah, it's a it's and- an iPod at Secret Santa from Michael Scott moment where one gift is yes. much better than a bag full of rubber nipples. <laughs> yes. One gift is the uh, the glove, uh, the mitten that Phyllis knitted, mm-hmm. and the other one is the iPod. Both great and special in their own way. Yeah. Um, and then, and this is why this is when um, Ron pops in to the A story, saying he likes the gun, but he doesn't agree with the politics of Venezuela. He's just sort of he pops in. Although I will say, throughout the episode, Leslie will turn to him for advice, and that is something. You love that. That I appreciated. Yeah. Love it. She's not going to Mark anymore. She's going to Ron. So <laughs> the, the you know, Fred Raul uh, sort of in his speech thanking uh, Leslie for the gift uh, says a lot of mean things about Pawnee. And Leslie decides instead of humbly approaching this interaction, she's going to impress these men. Yeah, she's got to change her so tact. She take- she's got to try to like be a little more aggressive, I think. Yeah, she. There's a lot of references to Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton this episode, um, and I. I just think you know this episode was made in 2009. Yeah. Did so anything big happen with Hillary Clinton after? Uh, I can't think about. I'm trying to think. Did anything happen? I don't think so. She did write. Uh, she was in the documentary on Netflix oh, yeah. after she went for a walk in the That's woods. Cool. I know. Um. um <laughs> There is a line where she, <laughs> where Leslie calls her the strongest, smartest punching bag, which I just really felt for. Which almost, you know, it, for her to say that in 2009, considering everything that happens after in the life of Miss Hillary Clinton, Secretary of State Hillary mm. Clinton. Uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of like, hi, like Hillary is tough, but a punching bag and. And Bill has his charming. It was just interesting how much Clinton references there are in this episode. Um, but so she decides, I'm going to impress these men. So first, she shows them that the park, uh, she's she, the 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 meter. They're raising money to build a park. Mm-hmm. 
and the, the men are not impressed. Yeah. What? The pit park. The pit instead yeah. of the instead of the pit, it's the park. Um and they scoff at her. I would call it a scoff yeah. in and any say language. That in Venezuela, a scoff in any language. Yeah, universal. Yes. They they scoff and they exclaim that they can they have plenty of money to build parks in Venezuela. So then she takes them to one of the best parks in her opinion. Is it Ramsey Park or is it diff- a different park? Do you know your Pawnee Parks? All I know, I all my only sort of frame of reference for Ramsey Park is that a guy was on fire there. So in my mind that's got to be below maybe the nicer one. Although I guess if you're going to set yourself on fire do it in the, nicest, it in the nicest park. park. <laughs> she takes them to the best park in Pawnee, which may or may not be Ramsey yeah, Park. Agreed. And they immediately think that the park she's showing them is actually the pit. They <laughs> they really it's a lot, a lot of a lot of undercut here. They even exclaim like how small the trees are, and they have this really funny shot where they zoom in on a t- tiny tree. Um so she says it's not about the park size. It's about democracy. So she decides to take them to a town hall meeting. Mm-hmm. And which is about as it's about as underwhelming as the little trees. You know. It's not even just <laughs> underwhelming. It's like in classic Pawnee fashion, they go to this school for this town hall and then a bunch of, you know, classic Pawnee citizens just yell at them. Mm-hmm. Which is in my experience what democracy often <laughs> looks and feels like. And actually kind of feels like the I think it's it's connected to like the impetus for creating and writing this show is like starting from that point of like most of the time, you know, small government or if you see like a viral clip of a town hall, it's usually not a great moment. <laughs> it's usually someone like There's that yeah. there's even one citizen who is just throwing frisbees at them. <laughs> and that's it's Andy's <laughs> neighbor, think- right? He's sort of like a regular town hall. Oh, yeah, yeah. it is. Um, Andy has not been seen for a couple episodes and will not be in this episode as well. Yeah, so just relax. <laughs> just calm down. The men are not impressed. And once again, uh, poo-poo on her and her town. And so she's finally had, had enough. And she ca- she calls them out. And they leave, trying to take pens with them. And this is when A Story Ron pops back in for some advice. Uh, Leslie goes to him. She wants to do the photo shoot that was planned with Mayor Walter Gunnarsson, who we will eventually get to meet, maybe dead, mm-hmm. um, one day, but not this episode, but he is referenced. And she doesn't, you know, she doesn't want um, to not do the photo shoot, but she also doesn't want to apologize. But in typical Leslie fashion, she decides to try to do the right thing and apologize. After she apologizes, uh, Fred Raul says that they will give Pawnee $35,000 so that the pit can be turned into a park. Yeah, which to put in perspective, in 2009 is a low-end Lexus, Tom reminds us, which actually did kind of help me, you know, never seen that much money. It helped me understand. (laughs) I'm glad that Tom is really helping you understand. And the great thing is, you know, Leslie is conflicted. I think it really shows a lot about her character that she doesn't immediately want to just take the money because she knows that these men have not treated her well, Mm. but decides to do it, uh, heads to the photo shoot where it is revealed that the committee is not just a friendly sister city, but is a Hugo Chavez 
uh, passion project. It's a committee to shame America. Which feels like an older sister, is- younger sister relationship to me. You know, that actually does yeah, feel like siblings of really like trying yeah. to embarrass you, trying to like take you down a peg. So instead of uh, vivaing Chavez, um, Leslie Nopes, Nopes, <laughs> uh, Leslie Nope decides to viva Mayor Walter Gunderson. She rips up the check yeah. when she finds out the true. And she has a really great look with Ron, who nods his approval. You know, Ron is just there sort of like as a. You know, like I said, the after breath of the A story, the mentor <laughs> figure. Um, she rips up the check, decides we don't need their money, and at the very end does get a little boost from the B story. Um, but that will be revealed in the B story. The great thing, Will and I were talking, the A story, the B story, the C story, they're a lot more it's really condensed woven yeah. together. I think some of that a lot some of that has to do with with like just the Fred Armisen character with Raul's like magnetism where it is like they, you know, the episode is sort of like this, these outsiders roll into town and everything, everything changes and everything like revolves around them. Um, um, but so a lot of the things that Will's going to talk about happen in the same scenes as the A story. Mm-hmm. Like, like you said, it's like, it's, I talked about you, and instead of saying you're going to talk about it, I, just, I said Will because I was talking to the listener. I stopped talking to you and I just started talking to the yeah, listener have on. and referred yeah. to you as Will. <laughs> I'm sure there's got to be one like out there. Be- there's got to be a couple Will listeners. Um, but with that, uh, Will is going to tell you about. <laughs> but wait, there's more. The B episode is um, all about our friends. Yeah, tell us about it's all about Tom April. and April. You. Got it, Hannah. <laughs> um, and their encounter with these Venezuelan uh, government employees. Uh, with April, we've got some intern on intern action um, in which we have sort of basically the reverse power status as with Raul and Leslie, where April takes the high yes. status character and the intern very much adopts uh, a sub role almost immediately to April, which is, I think, the only way to it's, go. <laughs> it's the it's the um, it's the Venezuelan intern, yeah. to be clear, kind of romantically pursues mm-hmm. April Ludgate, who is from Puerto Rico, yeah. which is why in the best deadpan ever, um, uh. She's like, this is why I'm uh, so lively. And Aubrey like- <laughs> Plaza delivers this line. This is why I'm so lively and fiery. It's really, I think this is a great Aubrey Plaza episode. Um, but keep going. Yeah. What happens with this this intern? Yeah. So we got, this is our first bilingual episode. We've got April speaking Spanish with this intern. And then we have Tom, who unfortunately is immediately mistaken for a servant and is being asked by these by the Venezuelans to just do all these menial tasks, which he is not on board for until they start like handing him money every time they ask him for something. Um, or sorry, not ask him every time they order him <laughs> to do something for them. It is, it is interesting. Leslie, when this, this mistake happens, she so wants to be polite to the Venezuelans mm. that she decides to agree with it. She doesn't argue it, but then she's like, she doubles down. Like they say, Hey, like, uh, take our bags and she goes yes our pathetic servant boy will fetch like in 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 trying to be uh, like amenable to these to these venezuelan uh government really employees she sort of like yeah. 
<laughs> she overcorrects. Um, I also love the moment of their um, Leslie goes, oh, April, do you speak Spanish? And April goes um, in Spanish. She she says yes. And then in Spanish goes, you bear yourself into trabajo, your work, because you're like lonely in your personal life. And then, you know, Leslie not understanding goes, okay, good, yeah. good. <laughs> it's just such a funny like. It's a nice way to sort of set the scene too for like this will be an episode full of misunderstandings and yes. like hidden messages. Um, so it's, it's really, yeah, it's just a lot of fun, especially with, uh, Tom and April in other episodes, we'll see like the B story cut to a different scene. But in this episode, there's a fun dynamic where it's these other stories are sort of constantly happening and evolving in the backgrounds and in like the peripherals of Mm -hmm. scenes. Um, I mean, I think what you said too, is like, we see Leslie, I mean, I can't think of an episode off the top of my head in recent memory where Leslie gets, you know, in season two, of course we saw it in season one, but where Leslie just gets sort of shit on so much. She's so low (laughs) status. And then on the other end, like you said, it's like this intern who uh, has a smaller estate because he's just an intern is pursuing April so hard. And she just has all the power. Like he sends a car to her house and April's like, yeah, I went out with my friends. Like, yep. <laughs> well, really, I mean, give, to give credit where credit is due, April's whole plan works because she she tells this Venezuelan intern, this is named Johnny. Is that right? I think so. But. I was in charge of the A store, so I know Raul's name. <laughs> she tells Johnny, she's like, you know, I'm incredibly powerful. Jerry walks up and asks her for something, and she just tells Jerry to leave. To leave her alone. Oh, my gosh. I do love Jerry. Last episode, we saw Jerry really get shit on. It was the first Mm. time. um, But this episode, they're just small Jerry moments. Like, when Leslie decides to take the money, she's like, thanks a lot, Jerry. I guess I will have to. Like, Jerry just, like, comes in. He, like, knows his role now. And and I think it's the – they've found out that his character works best when it's, like, thoughtless – critique and insult you know it's sort of like in the last episode people were like looking for dirt and then in this episode i think it's evolved another stage to where like without an even thinking people are are like constantly cutting him down (laughs) um but yeah keep going so so with april we have just like a constant courtship from i'm gonna call him johnny (laughs) Uh, just constantly pursuing her. Do you want me to go back to Google? No, no, no. I want to risk it, okay. and I want to risk. I want to. I want to risk being canceled for this one. This is the hell that I'll stand on. Um, <laughs> but Johnny is just constant. He's Johnny is constantly courting. It's got to be a duop song from somewhere. Constantly courting Johnny. Um, <laughs> and yeah, constantly pursuing her, and she's sort of maintaining his interest by constantly like you know ignoring him not giving him uh being this mysterious figure <laughs> who is april Ludgate. um and then for the for tom's b story there's like this constant heightening of tom starting to to enjoy playing the role and we see a little a little taste of his entrepreneurial energy where he He's sort of like, I'm willing to degrade myself. I'm making bank. <laughs> and he's, you know, going out of his way to like hold the door open for people and get them uh, candy bars that he's like removed Peel all the rice. Peel their bananas. Yeah. Uh, 
But Tom is a big redemption. I will say, you know, I think because I came into this podcast sort of dreading having to like review Tom mm-hmm. as a character in the new like lens of the now, um, the now, <laughs> the year, it's just the now. Um, I will say like he has a real redeeming moment at the end. Yeah, he watches after Leslie has ripped up the check and is erasing the thermometer that shows how much money they've they've raised for uh pit park um tom watches her puts all of the money that he's gotten in in bribes or tips from yeah the, uh from the venezuelans into an envelope and drops it in it and i think what's that i've it's, it's yeah. huge oh. yeah i don't know what's your take it's huge for tom's character i feel like tom when i think about tom he's often like defined by his selfishness for me mm. like even when he tries to be good like there are two mirrored episodes that i won't go into too much detail because they haven't come up where he is trying to do good instead makes the selfish choice and then has to apologize and show that he has good qualities after Mm -hmm. first with Leslie when it comes to her campaign and later in the show with Ben, who we haven't met, but for a character that is defined by being selfish, it's a real selfless act. And I think this is, we've, we've seen little moments like that, but this was when Yeah. When he told Leslie to get that Mark, that she deserves better than Mark. But but this feels like the first time that we, He's sort of like caught in a moment. And it's also filmed in a way where he, there's not a talking head. He just does it. No. And doesn't take credit for it. You know, it's sort of. Yeah. He doesn't say, I guess I'm a good person. None of that that you'd expect. Yeah. It's a big moment. And then. It's a huge moment. We end the B story with, at the end of the episode, uh, a reveal that neither Donna nor April are in the office because they have gone to Venezuela to. Venezuela. Full commitment, Johnny's estate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think this is also like a very funny Donna episode because for all the sort of inappropriate stuff she has coming her way, she's just like, what can I say? I cleaned up in South America <laughs> when I went there. Like, she's just, you know, Retta is very funny in this episode. Um, if I may quickly touch upon the sea story. Um, touch upon, touch, touch away, touch away. Touch or touch lightly. Uh, April and Mark come in for just... Uh, two kind of group scenes, one in the courtyard and one in the office. Um, it's almost like Anne shows up just for the Venezuelans to make a joke at her expense. <laughs> and then they also are in the office. Although in the office scene, there's a small moment I like where Anne says they should take the money to build a park. And then Mark says, oh, we should build a park. And Leslie goes, Anne already said that, which I, it's so tiny, but I love it because it shows that she now values Anne more than Mark. Yeah, no, that's a good point. In my mind, I feel like she's fully like not got got eyes over Mark. She's just like, um, but yeah, they spend most of the story trying to cook this Venezuelan dinner at their place. It's their fifth date. Mm -hmm. At this point, um, they've learned from Food Inc. They know a lot about where food comes from. So they decide to take over the Venezuelan feast. Um, but they end up burning Mark's apartment to the ground. It's intense. It's big. Thank goodness he's a city planner. Um, and then the D story of Andy. <laughs> um, Andy tries out for Broadway. Just Broadway in general. The Broadway? The general concept of Broadway. <laughs> Will he get the park? The park? That's what they call parts in Parks and Rec. Tune in next week. And that's 
<laughs> that's the episode. In a nutshell. Um, it's definitely an interesting episode. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think people will be <laughs> truly just embracing the chaotic energy of this whole episode. And also, if people are looking for those scenes, they're like, I don't remember that. All of those cuts, it's just a smell. It's like you, there's not a lot of like on-screen stuff. That's just a moment where it's just you just smell those scenes, um, which was ahead of its time for 2009. Um, you know, we didn't want to do this episode without more context about Venezuela. I think it was really important to us um, if we're going to, you know, we can joke about this in a fun way. But I also I don't know that much about Venezuela. And so I thought it would be good to bring in an expert. For this one. I'm on board. Let's do it. Um, We had, you know, when we discussed beauty pageant, we had Desi Williams, who was in both Miss America and Miss USA. This special guest is, uh, has never been in a beauty pageant. (laughs) That narrows it down. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get some professional help in here. Stack. I'm glad you're on board (laughs) because it's too late. If you wanted to say no, the expert's already here. (laughs) He's already entered the house. Um, I've invited my friend Matt, uh, who has been a loyal listener of this podcast. Matt is a producer for Fareed Zakaria GPS on CNN, where he has covered the Venezuelan crisis for four years. Uh, so let's welcome to Pawnee Public Radio with what sound effects should we welcome him in with? Will I think I just miss our studio audience. You know, in the early days of the pod when we had just a packed. Packed house live full of, studio yeah, audience. Yeah. yeah, so can the live studio audience, I'm holding up the applause button. Yeah, even better than Sign. the Drew show. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Welcome, Matt. Thank you so much, Hannah and Will. I'm so glad to be here on the premier Parks and Rec Watch podcast. It is my favorite thing that comes out on Tuesday. Yes. Thank you. Not your favorite thing that comes out all week, but definitely for Tuesday. Yeah, I'll I mean, think- I have to put my own show at number one, but this is a solid, solid <laughs> Tuesday offering. That's that's a that's a good that's a good uh ranking. I mean there are only there are only seven days. I feel that's great. Yeah. Tuesday exactly, is also right? I think one of the one of the good ones. <laughs> yeah. Uh so Matt, uh before we dive into the uh the Venezuelan expert uh angle that we have you on here for did you like the episode? Did you think it was funny? Yeah. Are you glad I, to be here. I'm very glad to be here. I thought the episode was really funny. And it was also a really sort of uh, insightful or an insight into how the United States and Americans perceive their relationship with Venezuela in 2009, uh, which is completely different. Like the degree to which I remember now how The Daily Show and other comedic news outlets would sort of portray Chavez in a comedic light Uh was really remarkable given how central Venezuela is to like anti-socialist rhetoric on the right in the United States now. Yeah. Can you, and can you explain a little bit about, so your, your show Fareed Zakaria GPS, can you just talk about like what, what's the, for people who aren't familiar with that show, what do you guys cover? What's sort of like a day to day? Most of our listeners listen every week to your show, but for those who don't. (laughs) Yeah. What day, what's your favorite day? (laughs) So my favorite day is Sunday because that's the show that, that's the day the show comes out. Um, We are a foreign policy and international news analysis show. Um, our host, Fareed Zakaria, has been writing about these issues for a long time. He's an opinion columnist in the Washington Post and uh, has a PhD 
uh, in international relations from, from I think, Harvard, maybe Yale. He went to Harvard and then Yale, or maybe Yale and then Harvard. But he's so an one of the dude. two unknown schools. Yeah, you know, these little known schools. So um, basically every week we try to bring you the most important uh, stories that are happening outside the United States that affect uh, how the United States uh, operates in the world and how uh, Americans and our global audience might understand the large geopolitical power games that are playing. So my role uh, in that regard is to uh, pitch and interview pre-interview. I don't actually do on-air interviews, but pre-interview um, and then produce segments uh, about these various issues. Sometimes those are interviews. Sometimes they're written segments. Uh, and in terms of Venezuela, uh, I sort of picked up that uh, portfolio when I arrived at the show because I grew up in Latin America. I grew up in Chile. Um, my dad was a mining engineer there. And so I grew up speaking Spanish. And um, as we'll get into a little more, I'm sure, at the time, Venezuela was this big uh, economic power in Latin America. Chile was sort of up and coming. Uh, and so there was a lot of cultural influence, a lot of television shows that were broadcast in Chile and all over Latin America were produced in Venezuela, for example. Um, and now the reverse has uh, has become the case. So Venezuela is a very, very uh, difficult country to survive in right now, whereas uh, Chile is the most economically productive uh, country in Latin America. And um, so, like I said, that sort of fell into my portfolio. It became a large part of my work at the beginning of 2019 when um, a major opposition figure named Juan Guaido uh, became prominent in Venezuela. And uh, our show uh, was able to secure interviews with his uh, representatives here in the United States and sort of bring a little bit of awareness about the struggles of um, pro-democracy advocates in, in Venezuela at the moment. Uh, I'm really glad we have you on the show as an expert. I will say, if you are making this all up, we would not know. <laughs> well, I promise these are fact-checked. I did my research before coming on the show. So I'm very happy to so, not have to make you guys do that. <laughs> what, what was your experience knowing that you have, you know, the lens of like both both someone who is in a lot of ways like an expert on, you know, the real country of Venezuela and, and also who was born and grew up in South America? Um, what were there any... What was the experience of watching sort of like a satire, uh, you know, a larger than life version of Fred Armisen coming in and, and like embodying this like caricature of Venezuela? Raul. Yeah. Raul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I just want to clarify, I was actually born in the United States, but grew up in Chile uh, where we moved for my dad's job. See, I, that was uh, the test and you passed. You fact checked <laughs> okay. me trying to fa <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> um, no, but I think that there were there were some aspects that I found like really instantly recognizable um, in the way that Fred Armisen, for example, uh, even just the way that he speaks Spanish is like kind of pompous and formal, and uh, the attitude um, from him as sort of superior, I think, was probably accurate of Venezuela at the time. But you know, it was a send up, and it was designed to be deliberately clownish and foreign and stuff. So I I I think that like. Well, I recognized the the um, what what Fred Arbison brought to it from his background, and like I think he really nailed the aspects that he tried to get uh, accurate on like Venezuelan accents and Venezuelan uh, politics. But you know, some of the things they were saying were like so ridiculous. Uh, at one point, he says like. 
uh, in Venezuela, we have all our meetings at like fortresses and palaces and at citadels and like, and you know, it, it, that's so you a little don't go too to far. jail for overcooking your fish is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. No, you- <laughs> you're saying that that was comedy making a joke. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. I thought it was interesting how like, even though it's in 2009, some of the like small town American attitude felt like it resonated with today in 2020 mm-hmm. in just the sort of like America first. They're not going to know what toilet paper type thing is. Did is that was that I guess did do you feel like that rings true to you even today? But even back then was is that confrontational relationship extra true? Yeah. Or yeah. I think I think that you really hit the hammer on the head um with I hit the hammer on the oh, head. You hit the nail on the head with the hammer. <laughs> Um, you don't hit a hammer in your head (laughs) that would be bad um i I think that the attitude of a lot of americans towards countries that they might not be so aware of because our education system doesn't focus so much on history outside the united states or the relationship with the united states to other countries um can be perhaps demeaning by uh by simple ignorance right so um, actually, I think Leslie at one point says like Venezuela is a poor country. And that is a simplification because Venezuela has massive natural resources, the largest proven oil reserves in the entire world. Uh, in addition to that, a lot of gold, um, really good harbors on the coast of the Caribbean. And uh, uh, it has a lot going for it um, from sort of a standpoint of if all nations were starting on an equal playing field, Venezuela would have a lot of a lot of advantages. The issue um, and the thing that has pauperized ordinary Venezuelans and stolen their life from them is the government mismanagement of funds, the endemic corruption, um, the silencing of democratic norms and of independent media within the country, uh, and the vast amount of human rights abuses. So I think Americans sort of sometimes uh, will project the causes of another country's problems as being simple, like poverty, whereas the a deeper look or more context would let Americans know that um, poverty is only one small, almost a symptom of the larger problems that Venezuela goes through. Um, But I would, I would say that, you know, there are like parochial issues when I was living in South Korea for a little while. uh, When I came back to the United States for graduate school, a colleague at, at the time asked me if I had lived in North or South Korea there would be no way for me to live in North Korea. That's virtually impossible. Yeah. <laughs> but it just shows like even smart people even sometimes have parochial attitudes. Even we wouldn't ask that question. <laughs> yeah. though, right. Well, we might believe everything you're saying at face value, but I think Will and I would know not to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was, I was reading a little bit about Hugo Chavez today and, mm-hmm. and they sort of pointed out that especially with the, in the, the early stages of, of his presidency, that there were a lot of really, um, like popular social programs and and did yeah. like raise the quality of life, but didn't address the systematic issues face like didn't didn't fix sort of like the structural challenges that led to corruption, which certainly which sort of reminds me. I mean, I think I think that issue that we say America and maybe we should say like people in the United States because we're talking about two different countries in America right now. Um, but I want to be respectful all Americans. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, just thinking like we, I don't think we use that lens when we're talking about other countries. And I also think it's, it's 
a challenge and a big learning curve to use that lens on ourselves, you know, to not think that like, oh, poverty is the problem instead of thinking about the systemic or structural challenges that are leading to creating like those issues in our own country. Like, I think we simplify Absolutely. every everyone else so that we can also. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I think, I think you're, you're really touching on this idea that Americans think America is normative, right? Like this Mm, is the normal mm -hmm. way for countries to function. Um, but as you mentioned with Hugo Chavez, um, in his, uh, first term, which he was first elected in 1999, crazy story has that happened. I'd love to get into it a little bit, but, um, the, uh, Venezuelan economy was heavily de- dependent on oil. Oil prices were quite high in the early 2000s, and that allowed him to implement a social program uh, called Bolivarian Missions. Bolivarian is a term that refers to Simón Bolívar, the um, revolutionary who fought against the Spanish and liberated Venezuela, Colombia, Ecuador, several other countries in Latin America. Um, he's a big deal, huge deal. Um, so he's framing it in terms, it's almost as if uh, an American president had come up with like Washington programs and mm. George Washington would be, have his face on the mural of the newly constructed settlement that poor people could live in at a reduced rate or a free rate. Um, you know, he brought electricity to, um, a lot of what, uh, are termed slums. I would prefer to call them informal settlements. Um, he, uh, reformed the education system and, and, uh, advanced opportunities for, Venezuelans who had been left out um, of the economic growth that had preceded Chavez from about the mid-1980s through the 90s um, to experience and take part in uh, this new Venezuela. Mm -hmm. Um, It also provided him with a ton of popular support. Hugo Chavez, um, he he implemented uh, reforms that caused democratic backsliding. But one thing that I think must be known and taken into account is that he always did have real popular support from people who appreciated him building them these neighborhoods, being able to go to college, uh, university, I should say, um, because of him, and who moreover saw him as a change from the um, elites who had ruled Venezuela from about 1958. In 1958, there was this political compromise between the three major political parties that um, – allowed them to rule more or less unmolested between 58 and 92 when Mm. Chavez first started a a coup attempt. Um, And so like he really did have a lot of popular support. And when this episode was filmed, um, he was still in power. He was still arguably at the height of his power, although the financial crisis had crashed the oil markets and things were starting to fall apart. But by 2013, when he dies, and his uh, vice president, Nicolás Maduro, takes over, the system he's set up that's so dependent on oil revenue um, for these social programs can't sustain them anymore. And Maduro mm. needs to find another way to maintain his power. He achieves that by redirecting state funds to powerful military leaders, um, as well as killing the last of the independent press, um, essentially defanging the Congress, the National Assembly, rendering them powerless and then staffing the Supreme court with people who were loyal to him. Um, and so now the system no longer passes on in a populist sense, revenues from the oil industry that the state controls to the people, but passes on tax revenues, oil revenues, any sort of revenue that the state might take in to the important power holders who might be the ones to push Maduro out of power. Arguably the reason that 
He is still in power um, despite widespread popular opposition, despite the fact that so many people in Venezuela are starving, dying for lack of medicine, uh, unable to feed their families. And uh, four million people have been forced to flee, which is about 15 percent of the population. Um, despite all of that, he stayed in power because the people with the guns still support him. Mm. Um, and that is why I think if this episode were made today, Venezuela would not be chosen as the funny country to make fun of. Um, because the situation has become so, uh, abysmal and difficult to even look at that, uh, I don't think that the humorous aspects would be um, would go over like the joke you mentioned, uh, Hannah, about, you know, cook a fish wrong, overcook a fish and go to jail. There's no fish to cook anymore. Like that, that joke doesn't make sense. Uh, yeah. People have, have, uh, are, are experiencing such food deprivation, um, that like in a, in a modern context, that would be really disrespectful as a joke. Not that jokes need mm. to be respectful, but I, I don't think it would go over well. Yeah. I feel like our listeners are really going to appreciate like the deep dive into the context of this episode. Because I think even like within enjoying a comedy show, I think it's, I don't know. I think it's important when you're introduced to this aspect in a comedic way to do a little bit of understanding of what's going on. Oh yeah. Um, and I think the comedy in the show also helps us reflect on our, on the current situation in the United States. Like the absurdity of some of these, um, sort of dictatorial means, right, will arrest you for any reason. That absurdity in and of itself, um, there's some very uh, – there's there's a great article by a woman named Ann Applebaum that argues uh, that some lies put forward by governments are not meant to be believed. They're meant instead to demonstrate the power of that government to create a false reality. Mm-hmm. Um, she's an excellent scholar, and I think mm-hmm. that that is part of what was happening in Venezuela, still happens in Venezuela – and it is, you know, very concerning that the president would make statements that are such obvious lies, begin his administration with an obvious lie about the crowd size of, of his inauguration. Um, because I think that the willingness of government officials to lie to the people and muzzle the free press um, is indicative of their overall intent or disposition towards democracy. Hmm. Um. I feel like I mean we could have an entire podcast diving into this, but if this I show may is on take Sunday, sillier... yeah. <laughs> you should listen to the show. <laughs> yeah, listen to the show. If I may take a sillier pivot, and we're gonna have Matt draw, uh, give us some resources too. If you want to learn more about this, we'll link him his show in the episode description, and also more research resources if you want to learn. Um, just to 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 finish up on this. Um, Silly or pivot, just like in like quick little fact checks about things that happened in the episode. Yeah. <laughs> just just let us know if these things are true. Uh, would an intern uh, have an estate? No, absolutely not. Uh, in 2009. That is, that is in 2009, though. In 2009. Yeah, period. The period. 2009, 2009, Venezuela. There's a lot more money going around. Maybe the internship program would be better funded. But I don't know about a full estate, a condo, a townhouse. Maybe. I don't know about mm. a full estate. Would there be someone who was just in charge of small fountains? Would that be yes. would that be That's, like a position? Um, ooh, interesting question. I don't know that I've ever heard of someone being in charge of small fountains, but the government would definitely make up a bullshit job to keep an important person happy. Um, so if that involved taking care of small fountains, then I could see that happening. Mm-hmm. 
would the Venezuelan representatives want pens as much as these <laughs> men seem to want the pens? I saw that as like a power move. I don't know that they yes. needed the pens, but um, Venezuelan diplomacy does have a very aggressive and hard edge to it. Um, there's a funny story. So you're, but you're, you're saying that, that they're not pen aficionados. No, they're so trying you to- You said there's a funny story and I- Yeah, no worries. Uh, they're just trying to show like, that they're taking the pens because they can and because they know that Leslie is too polite to react. I, that was my read on the situation. But the funny story was... So the funny story, another thing about Hugo Chavez that uh, Maduro doesn't have uh, is Maduro had, or Chavez had a lot of charisma. And uh, one time at the UN General Assembly, which used to be just hilarious, used to be actually very <laughs> funny, um, George Bush came up and gave a speech. He gets off. Hugo Chavez is the next one on. He comes up and immediately starts talking about how the podium smells of sulfur and brimfire and sulfur and brimstone <laughs> and how the devil has been here. And then gives this like long ass speech about how George W. Bush is the devil. Um, and you know, leaders just don't do that anymore at the UN. And I would like to advocate for world leaders to make crazy speeches. I think speeches every at the UN world again. leader should have to say what the podium smells like when a different <laughs> world leader comes. I guess one more question, if I may pivot back to a slightly less silly thing. I'm just, I'm, I ima- imagine what's going to be like <laughs> dancing here. So just quick pivot. Uh, as a female watching this episode, there's a lot of, I will have her in reference to, Donna and Anne and rejecting Leslie. What can you just speak real quickly to the accuracy of this aspect? You know, I think that machismo is uh, a real thing, and uh, machismo does affect the way that uh, powerful people in Venezuela and in lots of places in Latin America think of women and and behave towards women. Um, I will say that every single person is, of course, an individual and a unique person. And uh, I don't think that one should assume that a Venezuelan person will be um, sexist or misogynist because of their ethnicity. Uh, but, you know, to give an example from uh, the country I grew up in, uh, Chilean women did not have the right to request a divorce until the mid 2000s. Um, mm. And in general, um, LGBTQ rights are under more controversial sort of discourse in Latin America than they might be in the United States presently. But it wasn't so long ago that they were really comparable between the United States and Latin America. And the treatment of Tom? The treatment of Tom, that was interesting. Colorism is a huge problem in in Latin America, but race is very complicated in a different way than it is in the United States. Of course, the Spanish and Portuguese uh, empires were massive participants in the slave trade. They enslaved many millions of people from West Africa uh, and forced them into lives of bondage in Latin America. In addition to that, there were massive um, centralized empires in Mexico, in Peru, um, that mixed with the Spanish settlers. So a caste system developed that was very complex, ranging from people at the top who were perceived to be sort of the elites, which were... 100% European people born in Spain, um, all the way through every combination of um, mixed ethnicity uh, between uh, Europeans, Africans, uh, Native Americans, and uh, to a certain degree later on in Latin American history, immigrants from Japan and China and India as well. Um, All that is to say that the treatment of Tom, while exaggerated for comedic effect, uh, is a real problem. Colorism is a real, mm. real issue in, in Latin America. Um, 
there's a lot of progress that's being made on that front as well. Uh, and I think that part of learning about the world is learning how complex the world is. So the, mm. uh, <laughs> the, even though there are these longstanding and, uh, very built in prejudices in every society, not, not just in Latin America, but all over the world. There are always in those societies, people who are trying to change them. And I think it's a sign of a healthy society and a healthy democracy, um, to see, uh, people in the street advocating for unpopular changes that they believe are correct. Um, so I guess that's what I have to say about that. It was, it was upsetting to see in, in some ways the way that they treated Tom, but it's, I wouldn't say the most, unlikely thing that uh elites from a sort of dictatorial government in latin america would treat people of color lesser mm. than white people will do you want to pivot to your silly thing or i was gonna ask if tipping was a thing this is like a major tipping? plot point yeah. you know because i sort uh, of had this moment in Chile, of like, it's not a thing i didn't like, think so it, yeah. we, we don't tip at all um the whole episode uh, comes apart without that no money to the park yeah <laughs> But bribery is absolutely a thing. Okay, so if we yeah. look at that as like handing money to a government official in exchange for services, mm. that is the way that Venezuelan government has unfortunately yeah. devolved it, to working. <laughs> it's so funny when Tom's like, Duh, does anyone want anything? And Liz is like, I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> Silence. Well, yeah. I, I, you've given us so much context, so much that I want to learn more about. <laughs> I, I feel like the listener is really going to appreciate you taking the time to help educate us. Listener, if you're more knowledgeable than me and Will and this whole thing that he said was made up, please let us know. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Um, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It was really, really fun. And uh, I I would be happy to answer any foreign policy related questions that come up on Parks and Rec from now on out. (laughs) Thank you so much, Matt. Thanks, Matt. No worries. All right, studio audience applause on his way out. Thank you so much, Matt, for coming on. I kind of feel like sometimes when I'm talking to Matt, I want to do the Michael Scott thing of like, now explain it to me like I'm a fourth grader. <laughs> Just keep lowering the age. Of like, <laughs> that's what like, yeah, with like Oscar, when he's trying to explain what it means to have a surplus budget and Michael yeah. goes, okay. <laughs> But now explain it to me like I'm seven. Your parents have given you. <laughs> yeah. This is a, a office reference heavy pot. We just need to um, explain the world in terms that people will understand using another show from the world. Yeah. Honestly, we can't use <laughs> Matt yeah. should. We should have him on to recap a whole episode because he very quickly and concisely and clearly recapped a country. And I think he would be pretty good at just like saying what happened in he 22 recapped, minutes. <laughs> he recapped the complete history and politics of Venezuela quicker than I got through the A story. Yeah. Well, I'm still stuck. I'm like, and April has a little trick up her little sleeve. <laughs> and he's like, and that's how Hugo Chavez came to power. Yeah. Learned a lot. Um, but yeah, it's you know, it's 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 great to have smart friends. Yeah. It pays to have smart friends. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> uh <laughs> Did you like this episode? Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was I thought it was very fun. I thought it I mean, it felt like a different kind of episode. Not what what's the opposite of like a bottle episode that just takes place in one I guess um, the opposite the, uh, of a bottle episode. 
<laughs> I was going to say is a oops, Bill episode. Because I think it's like a, no, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, the opposite of a bottle episode is a globe. globe. Yeah. Well, that, that actually makes a ton of sense, Hannah, because it, it does. I mean, it's an episode where it, like we are reminded again of Pawnee in the context of the world, you know, and we have like. I love yeah. that. I think there's, you know, not to, you know, spoiler alert a little bit, but there's this um, end of season, um, I want to say four, but I could be wrong. Uh, Leslie Nope reaches a kind of career milestone, but then that they do this brilliant thing where in the beginning of season five, they zoom out a little bit and show that even her big accomplishment, Mm. she's still an underdog. And I think... That I think this show is about underdogs. And, you know, while Leslie has a lot of, you know, not great uh, kind of America first moments at first, I think like she is reestablished as an underdog. And Pawnee as a city is an underdog city. Yeah, we I mean, I, I think maybe we skimmed over this, but the episode starts with another mural moment where Leslie is is, you know, oh, talking boy. about having visiting guests and being like, I want to prove that we're better at hosting guests now in like 2009 than when Pawnee was, was like first settled. And then it cuts to like a, a buffalo in a cage and it kind of pans over and there's like an Eastern European, like Hasidic Jewish man also in a cage. <laughs> um, and is, and it cuts back to Leslie who has, has the reaction that we've all just had <laughs> to that image, which is like, not great. Got to do better than that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like Leslie versus the town, yeah. but it's also like Leslie versus the town history mm-hmm. at times where she she just wants to do better by her town. Which I think You're is right. another example of, you know, the thing that's so effective about this show is like Pawnee. It's a small town, but it's also serving as like a microcosm. It's, it's you know, speaking of like zooming in and zooming out, we're zooming way into a small town to think about what it means to be a citizen of the United States, right? Where it's like... Well, you're... I mean, you've already said, like, you're a small town expert almost. Um, do you relate to, like, so the attitudes of this town in terms of, like, their relation to the world? Hmm. Well, I think... Uh, Matt brought this up, too, where he was saying, which I thought was really smart, where he was talking about, you know, not wanting to jump to, like, generalize. Of sort of like starting mm. a new state without it being like, there are lots of different kinds of people everywhere, which which has absolutely been my experience, especially. I didn't mean to generalize small towns either. No, no, I was no, just I, curious because yeah, I'm not from a small town. I think town. it's a great question. And I also think I'm, I think I can generalize. Like I do it a lot on the podcast almost as like, like sometimes just for a joke of like making fun of quirky little things about the place that I'm from. Um, but anytime I go back to visit my parents who still live there or my friends like i'm reminded again of of that thing of like there are all sorts of different kinds of people um but i again i do think there is like more of a pattern in a smaller town of like maybe maybe like an us versus the world or like a a differencing of the other type thing Mm. um and certainly has like unsavory history that gets or I'll say it, evil. <laughs> that gets like glossed over. I want to keep talking to you, but I kind of want to include our small town 
of Pawnee Public Radio mm-hmm. with some of our town halls. We have a couple of voicemails. We have a couple of tweets, maybe even an email to sugar on top. Um, I do want to say our we named this segment like town town halls. And I feel very lucky about how nice all of the citizens of Pawnee Public Radio are compared to like, like no Frisbees have been thrown. (laughs) My dog got sick in one of your parks. What was that? That was such a great line. Um, So yeah, I'm gonna, let's start with some voicemails per usual. Um, Just a quick reminder, if you want to town hall with us if you think this segment seems really fun but you want to include your voice you can go to speakpipe.com slash pawnee public radio you can tweet at us at radio pawnee you can uh email us townhall at pawneepublicradio.com and the best way to do it the way that boosts us in itunes is if you leave a five-star review we must read your review on air and if we haven't yet and have missed it we're sorry and remind us, and we'll and we'll read it now. <laughs> uh, let's hear the first voicemail we have is from Connor R. We uh, love our Connors. Hello, Hannah and Will. Uh, this is Connor R. I'm here to ask a question about the whole sister city thing. Maybe it's um, because I don't work in government, and I'm not like a government nerd that I don't know, I've never heard of that before this episode, um, so are there also, like, mother and father cities? Are there brother cities, nieces and nephews, cousins, step-sibling cities? Um, I would like a full Pawnee, uh, city family tree, if you have that available, or... You know, feel free to speculate wildly. That is my favorite thing that you guys do. Um, have a good day, you guys. Love you. Bye. We love you, too. Thank you for calling. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that your favorite thing about our podcast is when we speculate wildly. Um, <laughs> I also uh, love that anybody that knows about Sister Cities are government nerds. So if you're listening and you know about it, you nerd. Um, yeah, we can. We're happy to break it down. I mean, I would say the first thing is the um, the cousin city. It's a little different than the sister city. Uh, Will Will and I are both government nerds, so we know with the cousin city, it's traditional to meet in a third city. You see them sort of at family city yeah, reunions. City family reunions. You yeah. know them. Yeah, you know them, but not well. You, like, recognize each other, but you don't really spend time with each other. Sure. And then, like, a stepsister, stepbrother type city, that's going to be your suburbs. So that's when you're going to start getting into, like, suburban, where it's like, uh, you know, you're you're still related. And, and sometimes you can be really close, but it's not it's not quite the same. I yeah. mean, you can be close um, with a cousin city when you, if you guys together, if they have, like, a cousin uh, if the cousin city has like a cousin kid, it's a whole. You can be close to cousin cities. Um, now, grandma and grandpa cities are really fun um, because it's it, the the tradition there is just a lot of love. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times, uh, a grandma city or a grandpa city will be a city slightly older than you, so they might call you to know about like uh, city Wi-Fi. Things. Yeah, they might. There's um, cities that give a lot of love, but also maybe need some help figuring out certain things. For themselves, mm-hmm. yeah. 
Um, There's some situations like, I'm my own grandpa city where you your own city could actually be it's also a grandpa city for itself, but that gets into some time travel stuff yeah. that I would love to talk more about off pod. <laughs> I off pod you will explain everything. Uh, the, the you know I think the most modern relationship uh, city is the friends with benefits city. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some examples of that, oh, Hannah? Two cities that are friends it, with benefits. Yeah, I would just you know uh, off the top of my head, I would yeah, say yeah, Miami and what um, yeah. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> um i would say definitely uh miami and new york oh yeah um yeah you know sometimes they don't like it. they don't they're not relationship cities with each other because right. they're just not compatible they'll but get together over the winter have a good time? Yeah. Yeah. yeah they'll get together over the winter and they'll just have a great time uh connor r i hope we really clarified things for you thank you so much for calling in and being a part of the connor club um, the next uh, voicemail we have is from Benjamin Benson. Hello, Radio Pawnee. Uh, I am calling for this week's episode. Uh, first, I want to say happy birthday to Sports Dad. Hope you had a good birthday. And um, after watching the most recent episode, I am noticing a theme this season from the writers, and that is the objectification of women. We've seen it with uh, Mark, and then we've seen it with Tom at the beauty pageant, and now we're seeing it with the uh, Venezuelan uh, team that is there about how they expect to just be able to have sex with these women. And this is also contrasted with people like Leslie and uh, April. I'm just curious on what your thoughts are about the writers constantly falling on this theme of women kind of being this... Uh, I don't know, sex-desired object. Thank you, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for calling in. First of all, thank you for wishing Sports Guy Dad a happy birthday. It was my dad's birthday. Um, we recorded the episode not on his birthday, and then it came out on his birthday, and it was a huge regret that I didn't <laughs> wish him a happy birthday on the pod and plan ahead for that and think about that. So happy birthday, Sports Guy Dad. Let's cut to some happy birthday sounds. Happy birthday! You also asked a very, um, a really important question to ask. Uh, we also got your email, Benjamin. Uh, thank you for writing in about um, the objectification in the beauty pageant episode. Um, yeah, I think that's yeah. just in general. That's a good. If someone doesn't respond to your email, give them a call. You know, <laughs> we hear you. <laughs> Thanks for being patient. And then if they don't respond to that, rate them five stars on their yeah. podcast, and they will. <laughs> Definitely respond. <laughs> if they respond in a podcast, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's a weird way to communicate <laughs> to another person. <laughs> we are making our way through the emails. Uh, so we're just connecting them here because they connect. Um, yeah. What What do you think about yeah. it? I, I think it's an interesting thing about like a pattern of objectification. Um, especially, you know, seeing like two episodes in a row where part of like a runner of a joke in both those episodes has to do with that idea. Um, and I think, I, I think that's partially a result of having a show, especially made during this time that has a lot of like powerful women in like really fun supporting roles. And also in, as like the lead And that 
I think you, I don't know. I, I, I think part, especially because a lot of the jokes and, and the story in this one are about like seeing friction between like, you know, misogynistic leaders from, from somewhere else, like encountering Leslie and Donna and April. Um, I think, yeah, I think the objectification of, of women in this episode is done in a way to show, to create that imbalance of power and also to, uh, to, to have us like root even more for Leslie in both of those episodes. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting when we, when we portray, uh, like something like sexism in a comedy. And I often think, like, what is the joke? Like, are we laughing bec- with the sexism or are we laughing at the sexism and say, and the, and the, and the, for lack of a better phrase in my head right now, the clap back to the sexism. Mm. Um, I think like it is totally uh, fair and important to portray real world issues in a comedy show. I think that's an important thing to do. You just have to make sure like with the murals, that one opener where the mural, the the joke, the butt of the joke went in the wrong direction. We've talked about Mm. this versus this episode where we laugh because it's so awful and we know, um, you know, small, smaller, big mm. towns that there's history like this. Um, I think in this episode, I mean, beauty pageant and um, this episode are obviously two very different examples where Tom's behavior, other than getting robbed a bunch, is never fully cut down, where at least in this episode – um, April takes advantage of the constant pursuit of her, and then April and Donna are sort of living it up in Venezuela at the end, sort of being like, "Fine, we'll take we'll take you doting on us." Um, as a getting the upper hand there, um, it is interesting. I don't. I I'm curious, listeners, what you think. Uh, if you think how it, it I think it's all there's a nuance to how it's being done and what we're laughing Mm. at, in my opinion. I think if you cut out sexism, sexism exists in the world. Like, we should be able to write about it. And especially if we're, you know, laughing in recognition about something being bad, that's a way to acknowledge that something is bad versus just, Mm. you know, we're not laughing because, we're not laughing at, this sexist joke we're laughing because of how awful the sexist thing is um so i mean does that make sense yeah no i think that something i no that makes sense i I think too there's like matt talked about our venezuelan expert talked about like how you know machismo is a reality and is like a part of the culture in the same way that misogyny is a reality and it's a part of our culture um uh and and especially with you know Fred Armisen's character being a caricature a heightened version of reality even i think in in Parks and Rec to an extreme that we haven't quite seen yet or i think he's like he's bigger in a way he, that's why it yeah. feels like the 30 rock yeah, first it season feels like, it's he's so he big. feels sort of like a character from maybe like a sketch show that has like mm-hmm. you know pulled into Pawnee <laughs> for the first time. That's a great description. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think I we're obviously not experts too, and I'm curious what your thoughts are, Benjamin. Let us know what you think. Uh, other listeners too. I, I definitely want to hold Parks and Rec accountable. I also want to make sure we 
let comedy shows comment on real stuff without thinking that then the writers, you know, think the things they're mm-hmm. commenting on. So it's like that dichotomy, I, I, think to, I guess. To, like, kudos to the writers in that we have, we give Donna a moment right after that of like taking her power back and being like, I know what's going on. Like, I'll, I'll decide what I want to do. And then we have the same sort of thing with April where she sees through it and like takes advantage yeah. of this behavior. Or Anne that just flat out says no. Yeah. <laughs> all options, all good options. <laughs> um, also, and then she once again shits on Mark going, he's a, he's a smart dumbass or whatever. <laughs> he's, she's a, uh, our next voicemail is from Connor Young. We got two Connors, Connor Club representing. Hey, Hannah and Will. This is Connor Young calling in from Norman, Oklahoma. I'm so sorry I missed the podcast last week, but I'm very glad another Connor was able to come back and step in in my place. Connor Club continues. For this week, I wanted to talk about maybe my favorite line in the whole series up to this point, which is when April delivers the deadpan line, my mom's Puerto Rican. That's why I'm so lively and colorful. I don't know. This is my favorite line. Do you have any other favorite lines from this episode? I thought it was an incredible episode, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Bye. Thank you for calling back in. No need to apologize. Yeah. First off People the have lives. Um, we get it. <laughs> Connor, thank you for calling back in. Connor Club Forever. I actually do have a favorite line that I love so much because I feel like it really encapsulates Leslie Nope. And it's, I am going to build that park myself and it is going to be awesome. Oh, it's a, it's technically two lines. And it's not going to have a fountain shape like Hugo Chavez's head spitting water over everyone unless that's what the people want. <laughs> and I just think it's so funny. It's just like she's and and then she goes and that sir is democracy because it's not it's like they can't tell me what to do. But the, but the people of Pony <laughs> want this Hugo Chavez fountain, they can. Do you have a favorite line? I like uh when when Fred Armisen starts we were talking about like explaining something that to someone like they're a little kid. I like when he explains to Leslie that oil is food for cars. <laughs> once you once you see it, you um, can't unsee it. You know, the front headlights are eyes, a little muffler, that's a mouth. Heck, I'll say it wheels or feet. The whole car changes it. Makes driving around weird. <laughs> I now understand driving. Yeah. Uh Connor, we I feel like we mentioned your favorite line, so I'm glad we're on the same page. Please call again, but if you miss a week, don't apologize. Yeah, we, That's all I ask. You mentioned your favorite line and misquoted it, and thank goodness you showed up just in time <laughs> to get it right. <laughs> <laughs> my last the my last question. The last question is from Anonymous. Uh, just a heads up, anonymous sports guy dad may have thought Matt would still be here for it, so we'll have to answer his international sports question ourselves. I, feel like I learned enough to uh, be able. Yeah, it. I think I, I picked up enough to great, be able to take great. it. Great, I'm glad you feel confident. Let's let's do it. Hi, Hannah. Hi, Will. Sports dad here. Uh, I I thought Allie, your guest last week, did a pretty nice job, even though she had the Raptors. Uh, beating beating the Celtics, but I guess that didn't happen. Um, my question this week for your international expert guest is: Who do you think the best international player left in the Final Four is in the uh, bubble tournament in the NBA? Take care. I'm so glad Matt isn't actually here to answer this because I feel like we got this. Yeah. 
Should, should we should we say it at the same time? Yeah, yeah. I I know it. Are you going to make it harder for people to hear my correct answer? Yeah, let's just say yeah, but we both know it. So let's just say the it at the same time. The answer to your question: the best sports player in the Final Four internationally is Johnny. Johnny. <laughs> what was I do best? <laughs> I just felt like I think that name has served me well in the past for this pod, and I just want yes. to stick with it. Johnny. The answer to yes. your question is Johnny. Johnny, Johnny from Uruguay. Uruguay. <laughs> Johnny from Uruguay. Um, you're welcome, Sports Guy Dad, for answering the question. Uh, I want to move to a couple uh, tweets that we got. You can tweet us at Radio Pawnee. You can also follow us there. Whoa. Um <laughs> Uh, Adam Humphrey at Piano Man Adam One says, "Is Fred Armiston the best one episode character on this show? Everything about his character is hilarious. Definitely my number one." Yeah, I, I, we sort of have talked about this, but I think it, it is like he, he feels different than other guest stars, and part of it is just like he feels mm-hmm. like a. You know, a celebrity, like we recognize him. And I think we're so used that there's that thing where like you're so used to seeing him, especially on SNL or like Portlandia, playing all these different characters that it feels more like Fred Armisen is here to be Raul than like. Then Raul like Fred, you is know, Fred Armisen. I think it. Yeah. Yeah. I will. I also think I like right away when I read it at first, I was like, well, there's so many great guest stars. But spoiler alert. Raul Fred Armisen doesn't return. Like a lot of these one episode people come back. And this is sort of a, yeah, a weird, like special episode. So we'll agree with you. Um, We'll agree with you, Adam Humphrey. Our next question is from Benjamin. I don't know if it's the same Benjamin. I don't know if it's Benjamin Benson or another Benjamin. At Benjamin, at, at Ben walks away. He asks, hashtag, what if, uh, and he asks Radio Pawnee, that's where we are, Leslie ran for president one day and her Viva Chavez video surfaced, and hashtag, what if Jerry played the wrong song when the delegation arrived? So the first thing is, uh, what if her Viva Chavez video, because they had her say Viva Chavez when she was accepting the check. Yeah, that that ad really, really just edits itself, I think, you know, that political ad. I wonder, I mean, if anyone in that room has has footage of her response, it feels like that could be, you know, they could show her ripping up the check. Um, but I think we've learned that that wouldn't do anything. I, maybe the best move would for, would be for, for them to just maybe make a, a deep fake of something, of, of her ripping up the check, of reenactment. That's actually not a deep. If this fa- was like, like the office, yeah. not to not to complete our office spin mm. around, but where the office turned out to just be all one documentary, Perks and Rack, spoiler alert, like we've said before, doesn't reveal the camera crew, then that would be a nightmare situation if she wanted to run for office. Yeah. A lot of compromising <laughs> situations. <laughs> um and what if Jerry played the wrong song when the delegation arrived? Do you remember what song played? I'm gonna I'm not gonna Google, guys. I'm just gonna go back and play. In your it, memory, let's say. <laughs> um, it's just dun 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 
Yeah, what if, what song, I'm going to slightly change this. What song does Jerry in another scenario accidentally play? Oh, I'm, I mean, I think We Didn't Start the Fire is a good, is a good goof for him to make, especially thinking about American imperialism, you know, really shining a spotlight on that, our, you know, overthrowing democracies across the world. Um, that would be a goof for the ages. <laughs> That would be a goof. And what happens is that they immediately leave and they go to Miami where they really wanted to be. Um, I also want to mention that Benjamin Benson in his email included a hashtag it, what if, which we love. So I'm going to read that with these tweets from Benjamin Benson. Um, I'm not going to read his email aloud. Uh, hashtag what if sports dad loves soccer as much as he loves baseball and baseball as much as he loves soccer. Does sports guy dad like baseball? Or li- I know he likes baseball, Wait, but does I'm he like soccer? I don't understand this question. What if he loves soccer as much as he loves baseball? Yeah, oh, it's a flipping yeah, of the um, passions. <laughs> as they say. <laughs> then, you know, we would really know a lot more because uh, Will and I are actually expert soccer knowers. I do think I had, you know, I grew up playing playing soccer. I was a keeper. So did I, powerful pink pumas. Oh, you know, in Sports Guy Dad's defense, yeah. he he does enjoy soccer. He's just... More of a... He's very into baseball. I've been to uh, a World Series game. Like, I really... I know more about baseball than I let on because of the family I grew and up in. And to make um, me so not feel if, so bad. I think... <laughs> what? To make, to make sure that I don't feel quite so bad about my the dearth of baseball knowledge that I have. I would say if that were the case in this what if, then we would live in a house shaped like a soccer ball. Oh, a geodesic dome. I laughed at my own bad joke. What? A, a geodesic dome. It's kind of like a beautiful, beautiful design. I also think there would be so more like real question. sports to oh. talk about because lots of people in the world play play soccer or football and they can actually play right now. and They don't even need a bubble. All right. I hope that answered your what if. Um, I love that Sports Guy Dad is becoming more and more a presence on this podcast. Um, You know, I sang happy birthday, Sports Guy Dad. I mean, just so you know. You can play Uh, this episode like next year. You know, just save it and play it again. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, What is the – you have an email again? Another email, Will? Oh, yeah, I do. Um, This email is from – Friend of the pod. Let me pull it up. Yes, Michelle. Michelle emailed us with an alternate title for season two, episode three. Michelle S. You know who you are. Uh, Alternate episode title, Our America, not Their America. This is the beauty pageant. This is for the beauty pageant, yes. And she says, hey, guys, I noticed something in the beginning of this episode that I wanted to point out. Leslie has a signed photo of Larry Bird. He misspelled her name as well, sitting behind her desk. I did some research. I'm on board. And he is from Indiana. But it seems weird that she would have that since all of her other photos in her office are of women. Has it been there the whole time? Does she even like sports? Wondering what your thoughts are on this. It seems a bit out of character to me. Excellent. This is the way to watch Parks and Recreation. Thank you for doing your research, by the way. And she included a screenshot of what she's talking about. It all checks out. Also, she goes on, I am not here for this Mark dorkiness charm. It's even more prominent in this episode, and it seems so forced by the writers. 
They should have just killed his character off like they did in the British version. You guys are awesome. Five and sweet. <laughs> and I thoroughly enjoy listening every week. Colon, closing, parentheses, Michelle. That's a smiley face. <laughs> Get it right. Um, first of all, Michelle, this is our, I, I'm going to speak for both of us, one of our favorite kinds of email mm. emails because you did research, you included a screenshot, you complimented us. There's so many things to like. Um, I, 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 I just, I love, I love the listeners who watch an episode of Parks and Rec, do research, listen to our podcast. I, I feel, I feel like that's, again, I'll say it again, like I've said in the past, it's our target audience. People who want to listen to a podcast and do research and watch it. Yeah, you're in. This is really, and this is a good question, Michelle. Um, has it been in the whole time? I think so. I mean, I think my, now I feel like I have the joy of getting Wait, to do actually, more research. actually, I have a thought yeah, on yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, go on. That's why um, we're here. <laughs> in a future, in a future episode, uh, at a at a uh, Pawnee Harvest Festival, spoiler alert, you'll see it. Aunt Tilda Bird is the 84 year old aunt of basketball player Larry Bird in the episode Harvest Festival. Leslie reveals that Aunt Tilda will be signing autographs at the Harvest Festival. So I believe that Leslie is a huge Larry Bird fan or an Aunt Tilda Bird fan. Um, we are going to go back and see if it's been there the whole time, but does she even like sports? I think she specifically is a fan of the bird family. I think there's also the possibility that this autograph is signed by the aunt. Yeah. By Tilda Bird who signs autographs as her grandson, Larry. I think that there's a world Um, of possibilities where that, where it's a, it's a beautiful family racket and, and everyone just goes with it. Yes. (laughs) Um, does Leslie like sports? Well, yes, for sports guy. She likes sports guy dad being a part of this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And then in terms of should uh, we get should we cover the the mark death? Or do you think we've killing him off in the British version? Yeah. I I mean I agree with you that the we've talked a, first of all we've talked a, you know a bunch about this uh development into some of almost like since we, this is also this episode also an office podcast um <laughs> jim jim helpert's traits of sort of the dorkiness and the charm and them giving some of those qualities to mark um you know i agree with you that it does feel like a head hitting pivot in slides and swings yeah they do kill him off uh slides and swings kills off a lot of characters by the end of the show there's like two characters yeah, it's left mostly like f- like long slow shots of furniture i also think if if you're into this sort of thing there's a version of of watching parks and rec where you can believe and a lot of there are a lot of theories of this on the internet go look it up that mark dies at the end of season one is a ghost the whole second season is from his perspective um yeah it's the redemption um wait where can they find that it's on the internet somewhere i don't remember where i saw it Mm -hmm. it could be a dot com or a dot gov um or a dot org i don't think it's a dot it could be a dot org i don't remember exactly where i saw it if i find it i'll respond to your email michelle yeah. Michelle S., thank you so much for writing in. We hope to hear from you again. Um, we're going to do our last uh, town hall segment, which is uh, the five-star review portion. 
We're going to read two five-star reviews. Please keep giving us five stars and writing us reviews. We'd love to read them. Uh, the first one is from JHP16482, and they say the title of the review, So Excited. And the review, Hannah is the best, and Will is such a great addition. So looking forward to listening weekly. Three exclamation points. I feel the so excitedness of your review. Thank you so much for writing in, and um, thanks for the compliment. And then our, our next five-star review is from Seymav. Uh, and they say, very excited. Exclamation point. Ooh. I'm so happy this podcast is happening. Same. Looking forward to rewatch the show with you guys. Good luck. Less than sign three. It's a heart, Will. <laughs> um, thank you for Just being both <laughs> so excited and very excited. I'm sorry, Will, if I keep calling out that great joke of yours. <laughs> I know you're like, just don't do that. Thank you for writing in. Um, this is such a fun episode. Um, such a unique one. One for the um, books, semicolon, closing parentheses. Don't <laughs> define it. Don't define it. Uh, we are so looking forward to continuing this podcast with you. Next week is um, season two, episode six, Kaboom. And that's excited sound effect should be how you feel in your heart because we have a special guest coming on, one of my dear friends, a podcast pro, someone I know you love. So stay tuned for that. Will, any final thoughts? I I think, you know, if you don't have a sister city of your own, be be a sister city to someone else this week, you know? I, I love yeah. that um, deep thought <laughs> to end... <laughs> It was so deep. Everyone, take a moment to really think about what he just Colon said. Colon zero. Um, <laughs> see you next time.